I'm Kate Daniels. Dr. Daniel LaRoche is an exceptional glaucoma specialist in New York, where he's practiced for over 25 years. Through this time, he has seen a great change in the treatment for glaucoma with positive results for the individual person. No one needs to go blind from glaucoma any longer, but it's important to provide good health attention to our eyes. And so we have Dr. Daniel LaRoche joining us today to give us some important insights. Dr. Daniel LaRoche, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So you are a glaucoma specialist, and I, some of us may have certainly heard the term glaucoma, but it probably sounds like it's somewhere out on the periphery. Can we start by your explaining what glaucoma is? Sure. It's a uh, condition that can lead to blindness that affects the eyes. Um, it's usually associated with elevated eye pressure. The eye has a pressure. The mean normal intraocular pressure is about 15. Uh, but when the pressure goes up with usually age-related changes in the eye to about 18 or 19, that can start to damage the optic nerve inside the eye that connects the eye to the brain. And that can lead to peripheral vision loss slowly and gradually that can lead to blindness. So it's very important that everyone gets their eyes checked uh, for glaucoma to help prevent blindness because we can prevent blindness from this disease. So uh, would a regular eye exam include that, or do, does one have to specify, I want you to check for glaucoma or my eye pressure? Um, usually most, um, all ophthalmologists, when they perform a complete eye exam, will check for glaucoma. Uh, usually optometrists will do that too. Sometimes, depending on where you go, when you're just getting checked for glasses and maybe just getting a refraction, they're not doing an adequate or complete exam to check specifically for glaucoma because they're just checking you for glasses. So you definitely want to get seen by an ophthalmologist uh, to check for glaucoma, particularly uh, over the age of 40, uh, to check uh, your vision, your central vision, check the eye pressure, uh, check the optic nerve, check the retina uh, to make sure everything's okay. So pressure, eye pressure, is a very critical thing where glaucoma is concerned, I, I guess just really in our complete health. So eye pressure, what is the pressure that's going on with the eye? Okay. Well, the eye makes fluid called aqueous humor, and it goes through a drain called the trabecular meshwork and Schlund's canal. And inside the eye, we have a lens that allows you to see clearly. It's a clear lens that allows you to see clearly. Uh, so you can see have 20-20 vision or with glasses have 20-20 vision. But as we get older, the lens in the eye becomes yellow and also becomes enlarged. It increases in size from anywhere about 20 to 30%. And as that lens gets larger in size, it starts to narrow the drainage angle and rubs up against the iris releasing pigment that blocks the drainage angle. And that's what causes the pressure to go up. But you don't feel it. And so you could be, you know, 50 years old, 55 years old, thinking you're seeing fine and walking around with a very high pressure in your eye that's much higher than 15, could be uh, 20, 21, 22, and slow damage is being done to your eyes without knowing it. And by the time you do notice it, you may have lost 80 to 90% of your vision. Um, and usually people will notice it if they cover one eye. One day they just happen to cover one eye and they see that the other eye is very dark. And they wonder, what happened to my eye? My other eye is very dark. And then they come into the eye doctor and they have pretty advanced glaucoma. 
So it's pretty. You have to. It's very important to get your eyes checked uh, for these things because we have new treatments that can help prevent blindness and keep people's vision. And I want to get to that because that certainly is a very hopeful message. But will glaucoma happen in both eyes? Is it just one eye? Can that be the case? What are we looking? It can at? happen in one eye. It can happen in both eyes. Uh, there are a variety of different secondary causes of glaucoma, uh, from trauma, age, neovascular glaucoma, comorbidities with diabetic disease, uh, inflammatory conditions. So a variety of different things that can cause it. Uh, but the most common cause is enlarged lens in the eye that can lead to open angle, narrow angle, and angle closure glaucoma, and that we can treat with a early uh, surgical removal of the lens. And in talking about how you were saying as we age, this changes, but also in the information I was looking at, it mentions that blacks perhaps have more of a predisposition. Is that really the case? Yes. Um, in my experience, both here in the United States and having traveled abroad to the Caribbean and in Africa, the rates of blindness from glaucoma are about 7 to 15 times higher in blacks than whites. But the main reason for this is due to lack of access of, to surgical care. Um, in the United States, you know, with the history of slavery and people couldn't read or write uh, by law, blacks could not read or write, segregation, um, blacks could not go on to medical school. There's a huge disparity in the number of uh, black physicians and surgeons in the community compared to white physicians and surgeons. Um, you know, there are about 19,000 ophthalmologists in the United States, but only about four to 500 are African-American. And there are 40 million blacks in the United States. And unfortunately, we still have a lot of residential segregation. No matter what city you go to, if you go to the railroad tracks, you'll see that one group of people live on one side of the railroad tracks, and the other group lives on the other side. So that creates a lack of access to surgical care to do earlier cataract surgery and trabecular bypass and to inform the community and educate the community about getting checked for glaucoma. And so that contributes to the huge disparity that takes place. And so we see that disparity in this one focused area, but really we are learning or have been aware that this inequity has been existing over, well, really, centuries. Yes. And um, you're seeing that now with COVID-19, with death rates two to four times higher in blacks, and almost any disease process, it's basically in large part due to this lack of access to care, or the shortage of black physicians. And so we have to do a lot more to ramp up the training of black physicians to provide greater access to care. Because black physicians are more likely to practice in black communities as well. We have a diverse population in America with the increasing Latino population. We're going to need more Latino and Afro-Latino physicians as well to provide care uh, to all people as well. And th there is something that seems like common sense, that people really feel more comfortable perhaps with someone who looks more like them. There's maybe more of a, a trust factor that exists. Oh, yes. Studies have shown that patients... Um, are more comfortable and their doctors that are, you know, culturally similar to them. Uh, I live in New York City. We have over 110 different languages spoken in New York City. We have a lot of different neighborhoods from Chinatown uh, to uh, areas where Jewish people live, Indian people live, Russian communities, black communities. And so uh, people like to stay in their local neighborhoods. They do business 
the people in the local neighborhoods. And the same applies to their physicians. You know, they have an affinity with physicians that are culturally similar to them in that respect. And so, it's, you know, that definitely has been shown data-wise. And uh, so that's, that's very important. And unfortunately, because of the, the, the history of the country, you know, blacks are falling very short on that, upon that. And it's really uh, unfortunate and ironic because, you know, medicine started in Africa. The first physician, the father of medicine, was Imhotep, who was, a, who was an African. The first ophthalmologist was an African named Irie, I-R-Y, 2400 B.C., an ophthalmologist of the pharaohs. So uh, despite that lengthy history of African medicine, you know, we have this situation today that has to be addressed. Yes, indeed, because... Uh, I- in, in terms of glaucoma and eye disease, uh, regardless of what the percentages are and how, what the frequency is, for just one person, it, it's their entire life to lose vision. And I think as I saw that happen with my mother, hers was not glaucoma, it was macular degeneration. But to have that creep on and how it just turns life upside down is, is really heartbreaking. So whatever we can do to educate and and really uh, encourage people to, to seek out help um, in in whatever areas that they can is really critical, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, we have so much technology nowadays to really make a big difference to bend the curve of blindness with cataracts, glaucoma, uh, retinopathy, macular degeneration. Uh, with new treatments, with injections that can help remove the fluid from the eye, macular generation. So despite the COVID-19 pandemic, it's very important for people to maintain their regular health and wellness checkups with their internists, with their ophthalmologists, uh, to make sure that everything is okay. All the doctor's offices are COVID-19 safe. They do social distancing, wearing masks, um, having a plexiform glass throughout the office. So it's very safe for people to get in and get out. Uh, and, and so with our COVID-19 protocols. So it's really important. But sometimes people forget about their eyes. So I'm glad that you're doing this segment on ophthalmology and glaucoma because we have new treatments with glaucoma in particular. First of all, it's very important people get screened and get checked once a year. But if you do develop glaucoma, traditional treatments have included uh, eye drop medical therapy and laser treatment. However, with both of those treatments, we know now several years later that people will still progress and their glaucoma will still progress. But with newer, earlier surgery, with earlier cataract surgery and trabecular bypass surgery, we're able to get people off of their eye drops and preserve their vision and actually improve their vision with new multifocal lenses uh, as well. So this has completely changed you know, over the last couple of years in my practice as well where I approach glaucoma with the earlier surgical approach to help improve vision, get people off their medications, and really stabilize their visual field. And is there a connection then between cataracts and glaucoma? Does Do cataracts appear first and lead to glaucoma? Well, in my practice, um, the enlarged lens in cataract is, is the most identifiable cause of glaucoma. Then that's not to say that everybody with cataracts will develop glaucoma now, because it's really related to the size of the cataracts in the eye. The width of the lens increases with age. Those people with wider lenses are more likely to develop glaucoma. Some people can have the cataracts, but the width of the lens doesn't increase as much. I do have some 80-year-old patients that have some small cataracts that have not grown very much in size, 
and they still see pretty good, and their eye pressures are great. So not everybody with a cataract is going to develop glaucoma, but those with cataracts that get larger in size are the most likely candidates to develop the glaucoma. It's really fascinating. I, for one, have a great deal of difficulty, uh, you know, touching my eye. I would never be a candidate for contact lenses. Uh, so you performing surgery and doing such intricate detail with the eye, I just am so in awe and and grateful that this is a specialty that you pursue and that you are helping. You've helped thousands upon thousands of people in your time of working as a in this specialty. Yes, I've been doing this for over 25 years now. And when I was doing my training, you know, it intrigued me why there were such differences in the high prevalence of glaucoma in certain communities. So researching this and studying this over the last 25 years, you know, I've come to these conclusions. And uh, by, inter- by using some of these new techniques that we have today, have been able to really make dramatic differences because the safety profile of cataract surgery now is much safer than it was 25 years ago. We can do cataract surgery under local anesthesia in about 10, 15 minutes, at the same time, open up the drain of the eye in another few minutes, and then you're done. Patients leave the same day from the hospital, Usually, their vision is improved either the next day or within a week, and then off their medications often in terms of the glaucoma medications, and their pressure is much better. And then we'll do the other eye a few weeks later, and you know they can go about their life and not have to be worried about going blind. So this is a dramatic change in how we're approaching glaucoma in my practice, and we want to educate people about these options as well. So when you talk about the surgery, is it done in? in an, a surgical office setting, or is it in a hospital? No, it's either in a hospital or a surgical center because they have to have sterile conditions for the surgery and special operating microscope, equipment, nursing team. So there's a whole team. So it's definitely, it is a procedure that has to be done, but it's very safe. Uh, millions of cataract surgeries are done very yes, one of the safest surgeries that we do within our medical profession. And doing it earlier, uh, particularly in patients for glaucoma, Uh, really helps to uh, improve the outcome of patients with glaucoma in terms of preserving their vision. And doing it earlier in general helps to prevent uh, people who have not developed glaucoma to to really uh, reduce the risk of developing glaucoma as well. And that sounds like really like such common sense or really good wisdom. It seems to me, though, what might uh, be an issue for some people is... Uh, having health insurance to cover this. Is this uh, something additional uh, in terms of coverage for eye surgery, or can it be considered just part of general um, health insurance care? No, eye surgery, eye examinations are all covered under the general medical insurance someone was had, has, so that's all covered. As long as you have a health insurance those things are covered. What may not be covered is certain types of lenses, like premium lenses or multifocal lenses to be able to see clear without glasses or to have an additional laser done to reduce astigmatism. There are some premium procedures that are not covered by insurance if someone opts for that. But the, the basic cataract surgery, trabecular bypass surgery is fully covered by insurance. 
So that's that is definitely good news. So that should not be a roadblock if someone is has concerns already. But really, as you were saying, we should start having regular eye, uh, just regular checkups for our eyes. Um, you were mentioning the age of forty, but perhaps it should happen even earlier than that. Well, the glaucoma really starts around 40, 50 years of age. That's when cataracts start and the size of the lens starts to increase with age. Uh, but people, you know, in this COVID-19 environment, we're using the computers much more. And so it's important for people to get a good eye examination to make sure they don't need reading glasses or computer glasses to have the proper prescription to reduce strain on the eye. And while they're doing that, they can get their glaucoma checkup as well. Mentioning the eye strain, because we are certainly in front of our computer screens uh, an extreme amount, it seems, these days, does that have a negative impact on the health of the eye? Um, if, for example, some people are looking at the computer several hours a day without taking a break, um, using uh, screens at night, uh, computer screens uh, throughout the night, uh, that can disturb the sleep cycle, that can disturb your sleep pattern and uh, give you headaches uh, and make you irritable and things of that nature. So one of the things that I do recommend is people follow the 20-20-20 rule, which is after you're looking at your screen for about 20 minutes, take a 20-second break and look at something 20 feet away. That helps to relax the eye and um, you know, uh, reduce any strain you may have from con- constant accommodation and focusing. Also, I recommend that people, after a certain time at night, whether it's 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, just turn the screen off. Don't use the screen anymore so that it doesn't disturb your diurnal sleep pattern uh, because when you're using the screen in the middle of the night, your eyes and your body may think it's more daytime versus nighttime, and that can alter the melatonin and hormones in your body that try to change over into your sleep cycle. And when you're mentioning screens, that means phones, which are so simple or little, that you know, just iPads and that sort of thing. You, you just don't want to be looking at any of that stuff. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. You want to just turn it off and just, you know, take a, take a break while you're sleeping eight hours and, you know, just rejuvenate and recharge yourself and refresh yourself. So this is really such critical and such good information about glaucoma because even at the outset of this, my my idea was that glaucoma still meant a person would go blind. But you're telling us by really having early intervention, these early checkups to see what's going on with the eye, blindness is prevented. Oh, absolutely. The key thing is we have such better surgical techniques now than we did in the past. And earlier surgery uh, just works far better than traditional medications and uh, laser treatment that we have. And so uh, that's one of my missions is to educate the community, educate people about these new treatment options so they can keep hope and not feel that they're going to go blind from glaucoma. So when you look at your career, the 25 years, was this the way it it seemed at at the outset? Or has this been a progression and you're seeing things really begin to change even more so these days? Well, like I said, um, our surgical techniques with cataract surgery have gotten much better over the last 25 years. Uh, It's far safer with excellent outcomes. The trabecular bypass techniques, we have new stents that we can use 
Uh, one of the stents I like to use is the Hydra stent that scaffolds the drain in the eye and keeps it open and helps to lower the pressure. It's very safe. Uh, one of the previous surgeries that we had, which is still the gold standard, was called trabeculectomy. But with that surgery, it was a high complication rate. You can get cataract formation, infection, a bleb. You know, there were a lot of side effects and complications that can occur. That's all we really had. So we would try to delay that for as long as possible and just use medications and eye drops. But now with this earlier cataract surgery and trabecular bypass, we can do this very safely a lot earlier uh, with great outcomes and a very low side effect profile. So that's great news. I mean, that's great news. And we want to educate people about this options available uh, to be able to see an ophthalmologist where they're at, find a good surgeon that's comfortable with these techniques, and not be afraid to, to do that with an experienced surgeon. It, this is like very exciting news and, and such great hope uh, for each of us for our future. So the, the key thing is you're in New York City. We're on the opposite side of the, the country here. So we're not going to have access to, to you. But what we should do is look for a, a, an ophthalmologist uh, in our area. And would you suggest uh, maybe even interviewing some uh, someone or the clinic to see how comfortable we are there? Well, specifically for glaucoma, there is an organization called the American Glaucoma Society. And you can go to their website. And they do have a physician to you know, find the glaucoma specialist. And, you know, uh, you can try to find someone that you feel comfortable with that's close to you and has experience with these types of early cataract surgery, trabecular bypass, hydrostent type surgery. Uh, that's relatively new to hydrostent within the last couple of years. So you may have to look for someone that has experience with that. Uh, some people, you know, uh, may not have that much experience with that. And uh, to get your eyes again, find someone that you're comfortable with and, and, and uh form a relationship with that person, and then, you know, uh, make sure that you're okay. And so what happens once the surgery occurs? Do you continue to see the patient, the person, on a regular basis, uh, six months, one-year checkups, that kind of thing? Yes. Um, after the surgery, we still monitor the patient probably about every four months. The reason for that is because as someone gets older, um, the pressure can go back up over time. And so you want to make sure if it does that, you know, just from aging, that includes everybody. I mean, whether you've had surgery or not, uh, everybody's at risk. So you still want to monitor someone. But then if they get really um, stable off medications, I'll space their visit to about every six months. And like I said, with the surgery, we're able to improve the central vision, stabilize the visual field, uh, reduce the medications. I've had patients in our initial series be on like 2.7 medications and reduce it. And then 75% of the patients do not need medications thereafter. Uh, so um, it, it just really stabilizes the eye. And one other thing regarding the surgery, have you had the experience of someone's vision then deteriorating after a surgery to require another surgery? Uh, in some patients, uh, they're like very, very, very few this surgery may not be enough. Their glaucoma may have been too advanced mm. by the time they came in. And we start with this surgery first, take the cataract out and place a stent in. But that may not be enough because they have too much damage to the drain. And then they may need a larger procedure like a trabeculectomy or a glaucoma tube shunt 
to control the pressure. So in a handful of patients that present very late or with very advanced glaucoma, they may need a more advanced uh, intervention. Well, really good insight and information, and certainly uh, encur- that encourages us to start getting eye checkups, eye exams uh, as early on in our lives so that we we know what's going on with the landscape of our important vision. Well, Dr. Daniel LaRoche, it's been so wonderful, so informative to have you join us today. I appreciate your time. I know that you're very busy and you have your practice to get back to. So thank you for taking this time with us and educating us. Uh, Thank you very much. And thank you for uh, educating your listenership about uh, glaucoma and uh, getting their eyes examined. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And you can learn more about Dr. Daniel LaRoche by visiting his website, advancedeyecareny.com, NY for New York. And you can also find some YouTube videos just by going to YouTube and searching for Dr. Daniel LaRoche to learn more about different eye procedures and to really Consider the changes, advances that have been made and how we can look forward to having better vision for a longer period of time while we are on this planet. This is your Sunday morning shout out. Every year, about 57,600 Americans will be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and about 47,000 will die. So while pancreatic cancer accounts for about 3% of all cancers in the U.S., it accounts for 8% of all cancer deaths, making it the third leading cause of cancer-related death in the U.S. And black Americans have around a 20% higher incidence rate than any other racial or ethnic group. Even though pancreatic cancer clinical trials allow researchers to study innovative and potentially life-saving new treatments, they often have low participation by racial and ethnic minorities. The Pancreatic Cancer Collective aims to raise awareness about treatment options to increase diversity in pancreatic cancer clinical trials to ensure patients of all racial and ethnic backgrounds benefit equally from the potential of cancer treatments. The Pancreatic Cancer Collective is an initiative of Stand Up to Cancer and the Lust Garden Foundation. Visit pancreaticcancercollective.org to learn more about the campaign and follow at SU2C on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, for the latest campaign and collaboration updates. Together, we can make a difference. Stand up in the fight against this terrible disease by helping people join potentially life-saving clinical trials.